0: I've been often asked over the years, what is my favorite book of the Bible? Well, I respond by saying my favorite book of the Bible is the one we're studying. So that would be Job and Hebrews. Some would say, well, what is your, your favorite verse? It's usually the one that I'm on that week. It's usually my favorite verse. What's your favorite story in the Bible? Well, it's the one I'm covering that week, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. Because whatever the book is, whatever the verse is, whatever the narrative is, it's all pointing to the same God, the true and living God, the God of Israel. And because it points us in that direction, no matter what the verse, no matter what the story, no matter what the book, it's all extremely important. Today is like no other day, or is like any other day when it comes to the study of the scriptures. Because we come to a verse that gives us a narrative about a lady. A lady we all know fairly well. Her name is Rahab. Rahab the harlot. It reads this way, Hebrews 11, verse 31. By fa- faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish, along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. This verse is so important because not only does it tell us about Rahab's faith in the true and living God, but it gives us so much information about the power and the providence of God. Rahab is mentioned along with the patriarch in James chapter 2. For Abraham and Rahab are mentioned side by side about two people, two Old Testament individuals who lived by faith, and their works proved their faith. James chapter 2, verse 25 says, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So Rahab is mentioned in James 2 alongside of the great patriarch. So you have a prostitute and a patriarch, both whose works proved their faith. In Hebrews 11, Rahab is the second woman named. She's the third woman in Hebrews 11, but she's the second woman named. The first woman was Sarah. Sarah was a princess. That's what her name means. Rahab was a prostitute, but both lived by faith. The second woman in between Sarah and Rahab is a parent, Jochebed, the parent of Moses, the mother of Moses. She was mentioned before we studied the life of Moses. So here's Rahab in James 2, the prostitute alongside a patriarch. Hebrews 11, the prostitute is alongside a princess and a parent, all living by faith. What does a prostitute, a princess, and a parent all have in common? The commonality is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times do you hear people go to church and say, Well, you know, I love that church, but I just don't have anything in common with those people. What does that mean? Or our children go to youth ministry and say, well, you know, I, I want to be a part of that youth ministry, but we, we don't have anything in common with those people. What do you mean you don't have anything in common? If you love the Lord, right, and you're giving your life to Christ, you have everything in common with the people of God. No matter if they live in, a, in, in America or they live overseas or they go to a small church or a big church, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so are they, you have the only thing that matters in common, and that is faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. But Matthew 1 also tells us a little bit about Rahab because she is in the genealogy of the Messiah. The Bible says Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. So here is this woman, Hebrews 11, verse 31, a prostitute in the same hall of faith as a princess and a parent. In the same chapter that deals with faith and how works prove your faith with the patriarch. And now, before all that, she's in the genealogy of the Messiah. Now for a woman to be named in a Jewish genealogy is rare. For a woman to be named in a Jewish genealogy who's not a Jew is really rare. But in Matthew 1 you have Rahab, Bathsheba, Tamar and Ruth. Tamar an incestuous woman, Bathsheba, an adulterer, Rahab, a prostitute, and Ruth, a Canaanite. All in the genealogy of the Messiah. Because those people are not on display. The grace of God in their lives is what's on display when it comes to the genealogy of the Messiah, but I'm way ahead of myself because there's so much in Hebrews 11:31. I got to take you all the way back to Joshua chapter two. So if you got your Bible, turn back with me if you would to Joshua chapter two, and let's unfold the story. Maybe a very familiar story to you, but our prayer today is that we will be able to come up with some things that will help you understand the uniqueness of this, this harlot, Turned heroine by the one true God of Israel. Joshua chapter 2, verse number 1 begins this way. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot, whose name was Rahab, And lodged there. There is so much in that verse. It's overwhelming. To 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 begin to realize that Joshua sends out two spies, right? Two spies. Why? Because he's learned well not to send 12 spies. Okay? And when they come back, they report back to him, not to the people. Again, he learned well because way back in the book of Numbers, Twelve spies were sent out, and when they came back, they reported to the people, not to Moses. So Joshua sends out two spies, not 12. Make sure that when they come back, they report only to him, not to the people, because Joshua has learned so well. But note, the, jo- the spies have no names. But there is one person named, and that's Rahab. The harlot. Why is that? Why is her name mentioned, but the two spies' names are not mentioned? Because God doesn't want you to forget Rahab. That's why she's in James 2, Matthew 1, Hebrews 11, Psalm 112, verse number 6. The name of the righteous is to be remembered forever. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 22 that a good name is better than great riches. Ecclesiastes 7, verse number 1, a good name is better than a good ointment. Rahab had a good name, a great name. But why is she always called the harlot? Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. It's because... God wants you not to remember her profession as much as his power that changed her profession from a prostitute to one who truly believes in the Son of God. Let's look first of all at the character of Rahab. Right? The character of Rahab. First of all, you have to know that Rahab was a Gentile. She was a Gentile. And because she was a Gentile, she was a, a foreigner. And because she was a foreigner, she was without God and without hope. Remember what it says over in Ephesians chapter, chapter uh, 2, verse number 12, when it says this. It says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the unbeliever. The Gentile is without God and without hope. If you don't have God, you have no hope. With God, there is hope, right? Well, here is Rahab. She's a Gentile. She is without hope in this world. But on top of all that, she is An Amorite. And because she was an Amorite, she was destined to be obliterated. She was destined to die. Way back in the book of Genesis, the 15th chapter, when God is speaking to Abraham. And God tells Abraham that Israel will be in bondage for 400 years. He tells them that in advance so that they will know this is where they're going. He says this. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. But when you come to Joshua chapter 2, the iniquity of the Amorite is now complete. That is, they've had their fill of sin. And God says, that's it. So not only is she a Gentile, she is an Amorite. She's excluded from the life of God. She has no hope. And she's destined to die without God. That is a characteristic of every unbeliever. Right? Every unbeliever is without God. Without God, they have no hope. And their destination, their destination is an eternity separated from the living God. And except God steps in By his grace, you will never be saved. And God steps in in Rahab's life and does something unique and saves her because she has no hope. She doesn't know God. She is destined to die without God unless God steps in and saves her. That's the way it is for every unbeliever. Unless God steps in, And saves you. You are destined to a life without God. And that's what God does. In the life of Rahab. But not only was she a Gentile. Not only was she a foreigner. Not only did she have a life without God. Not only was she an Amorite. But she was a prostitute. She was a harlot. And the Bible reiterates that over and over again. So the question is. Why is it. Two spies. Find themselves. Lodging with a prostitute. How do you reconcile that? It's not that difficult. First of all, if you're a stranger in Jericho and you're a Jew and you don't want to be recognized, you do what all the other strangers do. Go to a house of harlotry. No one would would ever question that, right? But it goes way beyond that. Because if you read Hebrews 11, which we did, James 2, which we did, it tells us that she had come to faith before she received the spies. So how is it the spies knew to go to Rahab's house? They weren't told that by Joshua. Joshua didn't say, okay, listen, when you go to spy out Jericho, there's a lady there who's given her faith in the Lord God of Israel. Find her and lodge with her. no. Because Joshua had no idea. So how did they know to go to Rahab's house? This is the providence of God at work. My friends, you need to understand God's providence at work in your life. These two spies had no idea that this woman, Rahab, was a prostitute... Having given her life to the living God, now she was having a home that was making clothes, as we will read on in the story. That's what her new profession was. But they had no idea. But let me tell you something. If you're a believer and God wants to hook you up with another believer, that's the providence of Almighty God. God's at work. God does that. You ever met those people who say, well, you know, if I stay stay here, if I stay here, I'll never find a husband, right? I'll never find a wife. Really? You just denied the providence of God. And what's the providence of God? The providence of God are the details of God's decrees. It's the outworking of God's sovereignty piece by piece. There are people who say, well, well, if I go to this school, I might not get this job. Really? How do you know that? How do you know that? If I I stay in California, I might not be able to make it, so I'll move out of California. How do you know that? You see, we easily deny the providence of God working in our lives every single day. God is at work. As he was in the life of the two spies, as he was in the life of Rahab, how did they connect? Sovereignty of God, God's providence, working things out. My friends, you need to understand that God is working out every detail of your life, where you live, who you marry, how many kids you're going to have, what job you're going to have, your health. He is working all those things out after the counsel of his own will. He's either in charge of everything or he's in charge of nothing. And he's in charge of everything. The providence of God is is crucial. The life of Job, right? Satan is called the Satan in Job chapter 1. He's called the Satan, the adversary. But guess what? He's God's Satan. He's God's Satan. Why? Because God's in charge of him. Job has to ask, I mean, yeah. Satan has to ask permission. But Satan is rebellious in nature. So why doesn't he just rebel against God and kill Job anyway? Because he can't. Why? Because he's accountable to the true and living God. He can't take a step without approval from God. That's how providence works. God's in charge of everything. I can remember when I had, you know, know the story when I had lost my job and I was looking for a new job and my wife had cancer and I had no insurance. I didn't know what to do. So I sent out 72 resumes all around the country because there was no email at that time. There were no cell phones, no text messages. This was way back in the 80s, right? And so I had to send out 72 resumes by mail and wait for someone to call me or respond back. If they called, I had to be home because if I wasn't home, I wouldn't be able to receive the phone call. Why? didn't have cell phones. And so God was at work, but I only got one phone call, only one. Out of 72 resumes, I got one response. You would think I'd get more responses to that, right? Come on, look at me, I'm not that bad looking. You think (laughs) someone would respond, but only one responded. Why? Because I was only gonna go to one place. One place, okay? All the while, my wife had cancer. Didn't know when she was going to die or if she was going to die, but she did. All the while, Lori is looking for a school to go to, and she's off to Wheaton. That's where she's going to go. But God changed everything, gave her scholarship, so now she goes to Kings, the province of God, right? One response, one phone call, get the job offer, take the job, take my wife with me. She ends up dying And then I meet the young lady who was on her way to Wheaton, but received a scholarship from Kings and decided to go there instead because it was closer to home. Met her 36 years later, eight kids later. That's the story. But it's all about the providence of Almighty God. And I can go through every one of my children, from Drew, to Ashley, to Aaron, to Anna, to Cade, and detail the providence of God working in their lives that brought them together with their soulmate and their lives. Why? Because God's in charge. And as God was in charge of the two spies, he was in charge of Rahab's life because they walked by faith and not by sight. I being in the way, Genesis 24, the Lord led me. Our responsibility is to be in the way. What's the way? It's the way of righteousness, according to the book of Proverbs. Because trade a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. What's the way? Book of Proverbs is the way of righteousness versus the way of unrighteousness versus the way of wickedness. So we are to be in the way. We are to be doing what God's called us to do. And not be so preoccupied about what's going to happen next. But be preoccupied with obedience to God. And doing what he says. And everything will begin to unfold as God has it. The sovereignty of God. Manifesting itself in God's providence. Here was a woman. Who was an Amorite. A Gentile. A foreigner. But yet she was saved. She was born again. She had given her life to the true and living God. And now she's walking by faith. The spies are walking by faith. And God brings these three people together because God has a plan for Israel. By the way, everything about the providence of God is about Israel. Just remember that. It's all about the future of Israel. God has a plan. That's why she says, I know that God has given you this land. How does a prostitute know that God gave Israel that land, but people today don't know that God has given Israel that land? How does she know that? Because she believed in the true living God. See? Everything that was happening was happening for the sake of Israel. Israel. And the providence of God was already at work with the exodus from Egypt and the death of Pharaoh's army so that one woman, Rahab, would hear about that death and that destruction and give her life to the Lord. God in his providence would kill an entire army to save one harlot that she might follow the Lord in obedience. And upon saving her, House the two spies. Upon housing, the two spies have a way for Israel to destroy the city. See, God's at work. And one thing you need to know about the life of Rahab is that God is providentially in control of every single event of your life that nothing happens without him being intricately involved with. That is so important, my friends. So here was the character of Rahab, an unbeliever, But by faith gives your life to the Lord. Which leads us to number two, the courage of Rahab. The courage of Rahab. Listen to this. It was told the king of Jericho saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me. But I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. The courage of Rahab. You see, she had faith in God. And because she had faith in God, she had no fear of the king. And I know this is going to come, so let me answer it for you. Yeah, but she lied. She lied. And the great thing about this story is that everybody who loves situational ethics... We'll use this story to prove that there is a reason to lie. And think about this with me. If you ask me, is there a reason to lie? Ever, 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 ever. Under any circumstances, I'm going to ask you, answer that with this question. Is there any, any way, any reason for you to take the name of the Lord God of Israel in vain? Is there a time for you ever to steal? Is there ever a time that's okay to commit adultery? Is it ever okay to dishonor your parents? Because you see, to lie is to break a commandment. If you're going to break that commandment, you will break them all, right? If it's okay to lie, it's okay to commit adultery. If it's okay to lie and to steal to feed those who are hungry or to lie to protect Jews from the Nazis, it's okay to commit adultery. It's okay to steal. It's okay to take the name of the Lord God in vain. Is it? It's not. It never is. See, wow, well, that's kind of harsh, Pastor. Listen, I didn't make the commandments up. God did. God never commended Rahab because she lied. He commended her because of her faith, not because she lied. So please remember this. It's very important. You say, well, there there are so many illustrations, Pastor." What about the midwives in Exodus chapter 1? They lied, right? No, they didn't. Yes, they did. Nope, you read it wrong. Turn to Exodus chapter 1. Turn to Exodus chapter 1. I'll prove it to you. Exodus chapter 1. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, verse 15, one of whom was named Shepara, and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birthstool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then, you shall, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Does it ever say they lied? Mm-mm. At best, you can say they delayed in arriving. Okay? They willfully delayed in arriving at the birth of the child. But it never says they lied to the king about the child being a boy or a girl. It doesn't say that. So please read the text when you want to go through your situational ethics class and bring it up to say, well, you know, it's okay to lie to protect someone. Ah, so now what you're saying, it's okay to lie because I can protect someone better than God can. I'm a better protector of man than God is. You mean to tell me, pastor, that if someone came to your house and said, I'm going to kill your wife, is she here? You wouldn't lie? I'd say, no, I wouldn't lie. Why would I lie? Why would I lie thinking that that's going to protect my wife when the creator of the universe, the almighty God who controls everything is more powerful than the person standing at my door? Come on, people. What do we believe about God? Do we truly believe he is a God of Israel who is omnipotent and all powerful and can protect and preserve you through everything that happens in life? Or do you not believe that? See, do you mean that, tell me that Cory ten Boone was wrong and lying? Yes. I'll tell you that. Yes, she was. Because she broke a command of God. What was, 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 was King David wrong in having an affair with Bathsheba? Was he? Well, of course he was. Did God override all that? Yeah. Because through Bathsheba came who? Solomon. And God can override all those things because God's bigger than your sin. God's bigger than Rahab's sin. God is in charge of everything. But we want to make excuses for the things that we do, saying, well, I can protect someone's life if I lie. They'll be safe, as if you're greater and more powerful than the God of the universe. Well, how about Abraham, the great patriarch? He lied. Oh, yeah, he did, right? Why? Well, because he trusted in his own understanding and did not trust in God. He was in Canaan, and there was a famine in Canaan. So what did he do? Did he pray? Nope. Did he trust God? Nope. What did he do? He leaned on his own understanding. So what did he do? He went to another country. He went to another state, another state where he could make a living, where the governor wasn't as strong and nasty and like ours is, and went to another state where he could buy a house and afford a house, went to another state where he could have car insurance and afford that because it was better. He leaned on his own understanding. He didn't trust God. And because he didn't trust God, what happened? Hagar, right? There's been no peace in the Middle East since. Because he lied. Worse than that, in Genesis 20, he lied again. He lied again. He lied about his wife, saying that she was his sister, which is half true because she was his half sister. But a half truth is a whole lie in God's economy, right? And so he he lied. And it cost him dearly. Why? Because guess who followed his father's example? Isaac. Genesis 26. He lied as well. You see, when you lie, not only is your testimony tainted, not only is your character compromised, okay, but your sons and daughters will follow suit. They'll become liars as well. Why would you want to align yourself with the character of the father of lies instead of aligning yourself with the character of the God of the universe who's the God of truth? Ask yourself that question. And then you can retake your situational ethics class and say, you know what? It's never right to lie because it's never right to break a command of God. No matter what I think about what's going on in life, it's never right to break a command of God because if it is, it's right to break any command of God at any time. Well, what, is, what about protecting someone else's life? Listen, Abraham lied to protect his own life. Rahab lied to protect the spies' life. Abraham didn't want to die. Tell them you're my sister so I don't die. He was into self preservation, that's why he lied. Rahab lied because she was into protecting the spies. So so why did she lie? Why did she just tell the truth? Well, first of all, she didn't have the Ten Commandments. The oracles of God were not given to the Gentiles. They were given to the Jews, Romans 3, verses 1 and 2. So she didn't have the Ten Commandments. Number two, she's probably a new believer. What do new believers do? New believers do what they always do because they don't know all that they need to know about God and obedience to him and, and following him. So she did. She reverted back to her old way of life because that's all she knew. But she did believe in the Lord God of Israel, and she wanted to protect these men. So she did what she could, but God never commended her because of her lie. Never once does God do that because God's the God of truth. Why would he commend her? Because of her lie. He commends her because of her faith in him. She believed in the true and living God. And therefore, she hid the spies because she wasn't afraid of the king. And so she did what she thought was the right thing to do. Even though it was wrong, God would override all of her wrong to bring about his perfect purposes because God providentially is in charge of every single thing. And no sin that you ever commit is bigger than the providence of God working out the counsel of his own will. God's in charge. And God will work it out. So you move from the character of Rahab to the character of Rahab to the confession of Rahab. Look what it says in verse number um, number 8. And before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. How would she know that? And that the terror of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land have melted before your eyes. That's almost a direct quote from the Song of Moses in Exodus 15, verses 14 and 15. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. Exodus chapter 14. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 15. Verse number 14. The peoples have heard they trembled. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab tremble; trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them... And plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. So they would go back, and she would go back and say, Our hearts, our hearts have, have melted before the Lord because we have found out what has taken place. And it says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sahan and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts hearts melted. No courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Her faith puts Israel's faith... To shame. This is all the knowledge she had. What she said. This is your land. Your Lord is the one true God. Your Lord is the God of Israel. He is the one we follow. He is the one I serve. Our hearts melted before him. And yet she believed without reservation. No other Amorite in the city believed. But she did. All of their hearts melted, but hers melted to a point where she acted upon the terror of the Lord. And she feared the true and living God. This is her confession. What a statement. Do you know the Bible calls the God, the God of Israel, 203 times, the Lord God of Israel, 108 times? God is never called the God of the United States of America. Did you know that? He's never called the God of China. He's never called the God of Hungary, the God of Sweden, the God of England. He's only the God of Israel. Did you know that? Because you see, unless you believe in the Lord God of Israel, you can't be saved. That's who he is. He is the Lord God of Israel. And she believed that. She understood that. And she knew that Israel's God was the only true God. So she confessed him as such and she believed. And that's the courage of Rahab. If you read on down to the story, you begin to understand that the concern that Rahab had for her family, that she wanted her family to stay and and, and remain alive. And so the two spies told her, and I'll just, I'll just briefly go over it with you. The two spies told her, look, if you if you do everything we say, you and your family will survive. Now the key is, where did Rahab live? The Bible tells you. Then she let down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. Verse 15. Rahab's house was on the city wall. The spies had no idea about the plan to destroy the walls of Jericho. That's not the Joshua 6. That was last week's sermon, right? They had no idea. They just knew that If she did not renege on her word, she kept her word, that she and her household would be spared. And so what happens in Joshua 6? They're told about marching around the city wall and marching around it once a day for six days, seven times on day number seven, and the walls will come crumbling down. What are the two spies going to do now? How do we get word to Rahab? If the walls are going to come down, how are we going to tell Rahab? We can't text her. We can't email her. We can't private message her. We can't walk around the wall saying, "Yoohoo, Rahab. Hey, get out of there while you can. The walls are coming down. How do they get word to Rahab? They can't. So what do they do? They can only trust in the true and living God. Despair her. They can only trust in God. So when the walls come down in Joshua chapter 6, everything comes down except one little section. That's where Rahab lives. He tells them, no, don't come out of the house. Put the scarlet thread outside your house, okay? But don't come out of your house. Stay there. So you can imagine they're in the house and they hear all this noise, Okay? We're talking 46 feet of wall come tumbling down all around them. Two tiered walls coming down. Can you imagine the noise? And they're in the house thinking, what on earth is happening on the outside of us? They have no idea. Until they opened the door and they realized that they're the only house standing. And everything else is destroyed around them. The walls came tumbling down. Again, the providence of God was at work. God was at work in the life of Rahab and their family and he spared them. Why? Because she lived a life of obedience. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. By faith Rahab, the harlot, did not perish, along with those who were disobedient. What were they disobedient to? They were disobedient to the same things that she had heard and believed about the Lord God of Israel, and that the land they were on was Israel's land and not the Amorites' land. They believed, or she believed in the one true God of Israel. They disobeyed that. They did not believe that. And she welcomed the spies in peace. Why? Because she trusted in the true and living God. Here is a woman who lived by faith, which goes to tell me, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done, God can save you and transform your life because his, his power and his providence is bigger than whatever profession you're in, engaged in, whatever sinful behaviors you're engaged in. That's why in 1 Corinthians 6, it tells us that the, the adulterer and the inf- effeminate person and the murderer and the slanderer will not inherit the kingdom of, of heaven, but such were some of you. But you were washed, you were cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Here was Rahab, who had been cleansed. She lived by faith. She walked by faith, not by sight. She becomes the great heroine of Hebrews 11. James 2, Matthew 1, Joshua 2. Why? Why? Because she put all of her faith in the Lord, she believed what God said. She believed absolutely and behaved accordingly. Does' it mean that when you're saved, you don't sin? Because she did. But God's bigger than your sin. God's more powerful than, than the decisions that we make, because He has a greater purpose that He's going to accomplish. And nothing will stop that happening because God's in charge. Same is true in your life and mine. And my prayer for you is that you would learn to trust God even all the more as Rahab did, as the spies did, realizing that God's in complete control of everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. The opportunity you give us to study your word, we are a blessed people. Our prayer, Father, is that you teach us to follow you, to live by faith, not by sight. To trust you for everything, Lord, knowing that you are sovereign over all. And the providence of God is working every detail of every single day out exactly as you planned it. For that, we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.